producer, the director, everyone was um, great to work with. And the, I would say the show actually exceeded my expectations because it was really weird and uncomfortable during filming. Like it just felt weird sometimes repeating scenes and, and you just felt awkward and none of that awkwardness came across in, um, in the show. So I actually, um, I think my experience was better than I expected. There were so many times that people reached out because they said they hadn't seen a person of color in a tiny house. And so that was something that drew them to the episode. It drew them to the movement. And, and I've had um, people reach out to me from um, different countries. And that's been really um, cool because they've seen the episode. So um, it definitely exceeded expectations. Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast, the show where you learn how to plan, build, and live the tiny lifestyle. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and this is episode 77 with Jewel Pearson. I've been wanting to have Jewel on the show for a while because she is leading the conversation on inclusiveness and diversity in the tiny house movement. There are a lot of issues with housing in the United States, and there's been systemic racism built into our housing system and financial structures for a long time. I think it's important that as we build the tiny house movement, we keep these things in mind and try to prevent the tiny house system from reflecting the system at large. Jewel is a wonderful interview guest, and we talk about a wide range of topics from her tiny house and the special features inside of it, along with all of the issues that I just mentioned, and Jewel has some great suggestions on how we can all move forward. I hope you stick around because it's a great conversation. But first, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today's episode, the Tiny House Forum. Are you frustrated by how fragmented Tiny House information is online? Tiny House Forum is an online community for exchanging information, ideas, and resources related to the Tiny House movement all in one central location. At Tiny House Forum, you can have conversations with others who are interested in the tiny house lifestyle, those currently living the tiny house lifestyle, and tiny house businesses and organizations that can provide guidance along the way. Tinyhouseforum.com is 100% free to use and joining is easy. Head on over to tinyhouseforum.com to participate in the discussions or start a new topic of your own today. If that didn't already sound great, right now you can be entered to win $500 cash by joining Tiny House Forum and making your first few posts. Learn more about the contest at tinyhouseforum.com where you can sign up and be entered to win $500 cash. Again, that's tinyhouseforum.com where you can sign up to be entered to win $500 cash. All right. I am here with Jewel Pearson. Jewel is a tiny house advocate, community leader, and speaker sharing her tiny living experiences, offering consulting services, and teaching workshops to assist others in achieving their tiny living dreams. Jewel is also the founder of Tiny House Trailblazers, a duo of powerful and uniquely talented women of color who are a voice for real community and inclusion within the movement. 
Joel Pearson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great. It's great to finally have you on. Um, I was curious. I actually just wanted to start with with your tiny house story. You know what what brought you to the movement, and you know what what was it that really made you decide to jump in and and build a tiny house. So my story is kind of it's been something that I've known I wanted to do since my daughter was very young Um, as a single mom and having to be so responsible. My dream was that once she was grown, I'd have the opportunity to live life a little irresponsibly with with a whole lot less responsibility and and requirement. And um, as she was growing up, my thought process was that it would be an RV. Um, and then I just kind of float around the country um, living in an RV. And then as the time got closer and I started doing a little more research into RVs, the ones that I liked, uh, the price point wouldn't allow me to be less responsible. I was really going to have to work to pay for them. So um, just over the course of time, um, as I was trying to figure out how I was going to get that lifestyle, I stumbled on. Um, tiny houses and then decided that I was going to build one. And so that's kind of how I landed into the movement. And the tiny house that you did end up building is very much custom to, to your needs and wants. Absolutely. You know, the tours, I'll definitely link to a couple of tours that I like on the show notes page. Okay. But why don't you why don't you tell us about some of the unique features and and things that are different about yours versus what you see in other tiny houses? So definitely unique to me and designed for me. Going into it, I knew that in order for me to be successful, the house was going to have to meet my needs um, versus trying to go into something and and adjust to it. And so uh, my sister assisted me with the initial design and. Just paid going into it, paid a lot of attention to how I used my spaces that I lived in and and my requirements. And so my tiny house has a a full size bathroom. Um, It has a full size couch, walk in closet. Um, I have a signature round window that you can kind of see over my shoulder. Lots of windows um, and light because that's really important to me and uh, more of an open space so that. Um, it didn't feel closed in, but um, just made sure that it worked for everything that I needed from a home. Yeah. And what's the overall dimensions? So it's 28 by, um, what is my house? <laughs> oh my God. Um, 28 by 8, 6. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. 28 by 8, 6. And then I've got a, an additional 10 foot screened in port. Um, the interior space is um, about 360 square feet if I count the two law. Okay. And I, I like in the video, you said it's 300, 360 square feet of tiny house luxury. Tiny house luxury. <laughs> yes. It's also just like, I know most people who are just going to hear this, they're not going to, you know, we're seeing each other, but you you look like you have a really strong sense of style and the house itself just the way that it's decorated um it's clear that the the owner slash occupant has a strong sense of style okay i i i would like to say that i do i for me it it's more than a house it's home and it's the thing that grounds me and centers me and so it has to represent home for me and a lot of the decor um it's things that i've had for 
many years in my larger spaces. So as I was going into designing it, I wanted to be able to include that because those pieces are what make home for me. So um, it's kind of the continuation of what started years ago. And it's the thing that still just feels like home because all of my, you know, my favorite pieces are still here. Nice. You mentioned in um, one of the videos that I watched that a mistake that you made was in terms of figuring out what the house would cost. Right. Can you talk about, you know, what caused that that mismatch in, in expectation and, and what you advise to people to do? Oh, absolutely. So when I first built my home, the movement, is, so I've been in my house for um, four and a half, almost four and a half years. So the movement was very early on and the movement was focused very much at that time on minimalism. And there were very few houses that were of a larger size or with a lot of amenities. And so I was trying to compare because I didn't have I didn't have previous um, build experience and I was trying to figure out what my home would cost and was comparing it to one of the larger homes at that time that did have a little more of of a little more amenities than, um, I guess, the other houses at the time. And not factoring in, because again, I didn't have the build experience that the person that it built that home, it built it over, I think, a course of maybe almost two years. They had done all of the work themselves. And um, I was building, using all contractors, my build lasted maybe about three months once we got started building. So there was, you know, rushed, material there was and I was sourcing all the material so I was I didn't have the you know the benefit of discounts and things that builders often are able to incorporate so it was really comparing apples to oranges when I in hindsight when I looked at their cost versus what I what my home cost and in hindsight my cost was dead on based on the fact that you know my my parameters were different my I used the use of all contractors my timeline etc um, but I didn't know that going into it. So um, my home at that point, I kind of, I thought I'd even factored in some cushion based on, you know, there were going to be differences in my house versus that build that I was comparing to. And it was totally off. Um, I, I have, I think, 17 or 18 windows and windows are very, quality windows are very expensive. So it was just the inexperience of um, a new builder not understanding how to compare really apples to apples. So I was comparing apples to oranges and I caution everyone now going into it, especially, uh, you know, I host workshops to make sure that what you're comparing to is really equivalent to what you're building or um, either consult, you know, an expert that can help you with figuring out your cost. Yeah, I actually ran into a similar issue in that I was pretty dead on with the material costs, mm -hmm. but I was like, I'll just do all the labor myself. And, you know, as a novice builder, there were certain pieces of the project that I just couldn't do. Right. And the speed that I was working at, I realized that it just, if I didn't hire some help, I risked having the project just never be done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I always tell people, you know, when you see the price tag of a tiny house that's built by a builder, it seems so astronomical compared to what you can do by yourself. But you also have to factor what your own time is worth. You know, if you're working, if you have a, a decent job, 
you might actually be better off paying somebody else for their time versus using your own. Right. Right. And then, you know, if you're doing it yourself, you haven't built anything, then you've got to factor in mistakes and yeah. rework and all, you know, purchasing new material because you've messed something up. So it's, it's you really got to understand what the cost um, is going to end up being based on whether you're doing it, contractors are doing it, you know, a combination. So there are a lot of factors that have to be considered. And like you said, a builder, you know, depending on your timeline, and, and I had a very strict timeline, there was no way I could have done you know, anything myself in the timeline that I needed. Right. And and sometimes there's like, did you have like a specific deadline? Like you had to be out of the place you were living by a certain time or something like that? My lease was ending and I really didn't want to extend it. You know, month to month can be very, very expensive. So I didn't want to go into that situation. So I was really trying to get everything done before my lease was up. Um, and then I was also on um, HGTV. And so trying to fit within that deadline added some some different and not I don't want to say stress, but it added some different urgency to um, what we were doing, because initially before I um, had signed up to be on HGTV, I kind of thought, well, based on my finances, maybe I'll build to a certain point and then live in it and finish the build out. And in hindsight, I'm so glad I didn't do that because I realized that would that would have driven me, you know, insane trying to build around my living space. Um, so, you know, things work out like they're supposed to be, but you just have to know going into it, you know, what what you're really looking at, and what you're really considering. Yeah, just building inside of the tiny house when not living there is hard enough, like doing exactly. finish work. Right. I could not imagine working on a tiny house and living there at the same time. Exactly. I learned that. So the first year in, I had to have, I have a microwave convection oven combo unit and I had to have a, um, it's serviced. And so they had to take it down and it, you know, it's built up into the cabinetry. So they had to take it down to service it. And I, and the dust and everything that ended up happening because of that, I was like, and, and it was so frustrating to me. Like I had to clean the entire house because dust just went everywhere. And I was thinking you would have never lasted trying to build and live in the same space. So um, I agree 100%. I'd like to hear more about the experience being on HGTV. I'm curious what you, what were your motivations for doing it? And did they meet, did it meet your expectations? Did the experience live up to what you thought it would be like? I don't know that I had expectations going into it other than this was a cool opportunity to, and it would give some exposure. Um, I didn't realize exactly how much exposure it would get. For me, HGTV was, they really just followed the build and they didn't add any of the, you know, there's some other shows that kind of add some drama around, you know, building and they're doing the building, but they were really just chronicling our experience. And my um, film crew, the producer, the director, everyone was um, great to work with. And the, I would say the show actually exceeded my expectations because it was really weird and uncomfortable during filming. Like it just felt weird sometimes repeating scenes and, and you just felt awkward. And by the end, and so we didn't even get to see the show before it happened. So by the end result in watching the show, none of that awkwardness came across in, um, in the show. So I actually, um, I think my experience was better than I expected. I'm going through it. And then the exposure um, was, 
fabulous because there were so many times that people reached out because they said they hadn't seen a person of color in a tiny house. And so that was something that drew them to the episode. It drew them to the movement. And, and I've had um, people reach out to me from um, different countries. And that's been really um, cool because they've seen the episode. So um, it definitely exceeded expectations. Well, that's great. I'm glad I'm glad to hear it. I've I've heard mixed things about being on reality television in general. So I'm glad that it was a good experience overall. Yeah, I think so. Without calling out names, I think there's one show that people have a better experience on. And and the the, the horror stories that I've heard have not been associated with the show that I that I was on. All right. Well, we can leave it there. Absolutely. <laughs> Before I get in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what what contractual agreements you have. with. <laughs> They're done. Okay. I just don't want anybody to say, ooh, she said so-and-so. <laughs> yes. I'd like to tell you a little bit more about our sponsor for today's show, tinyhouseforum.com. Founder Chuck Camfield became interested in tiny house living after attending a festival in 2018 but was disappointed when he couldn't find a central online resource for exchanging information and encouragement with other tiny house hopefuls, dwellers, and builders. So he assembled a team of talented web developers and Tiny House Forum was born. Tiny House Forum is dedicated to inspiring and nurturing all who are interested in furthering their knowledge of the tiny house revolution. And right now you can be entered to win $500 cash by joining Tiny House Forum and making your first few posts. You can learn more about the contest and sign up at tinyhouseforum.com. Thank you so much to Tiny House Forum for sponsoring our show. Well, I feel like that's a good segue into Tiny House Trailblazers. Okay. Um, what is Tiny House Trailblazers? So it's an opportunity for representation in the movement. Um, going into the movement, I didn't see, early on, I didn't see anyone that looked like me. Um, that wasn't, that kind of been my experience growing up and through school. Um, and it, and it never deterred me from the fact that this was a dream that I wanted to achieve. Um, as I started hearing comments from other people, once the episode aired, I realized how much, how, how much and how important representation was and for people to see other people like them in something that they were interested in, to, in, to, in order to know that, you know, that was something that they, could be, I guess, almost in giving them permission to be interested in the movement. And so Tiny House Trailblazers is part of that representation to show that, you know, people of color, Black people, Black women, Black people are here in the movement, people of color in the movement. And then it's also been more of holding space um, because as, you know, I realized we were here, but we weren't represented. Um, and some of the challenges that i run into within um, my tiny house experience as a black woman living in a tiny house. And I try to share that with the larger tiny house community, with the people, I guess everyone would call the leaders in the community and have those conversations around inclusion. Um, it wasn't really met well. And so then I decided and realized that there was no use in trying to fight, but go off and do kind of my own thing. Like I said, build my own tables. Um, and Dominique Moody worked with me with Tiny House Trailblazers. Um, we've worked a lot with Lee Para to have some conversations around the need for representation and inclusion and, and to make sure the, the conversations are being had. And so the, it, I would say it's more of 
inclusion and holding space. For those who have never maybe heard the term holding space, what is it? What would it mean to hold space in the tiny house movement? So making sure the conversation is represented um, to make sure that people see that 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 people are here so that you don't get lost in the in the overall big picture and you only see just a, a couple uh, you'll hear tidbits or you see a couple of people and you don't really know that that people of color are here. Black people are here. And here's a centered space so that we can have the conversations that are necessary and that are different from from the larger tiny house conversation. Um, for example, um, the when I, right after I built my house, I moved my house to a, an RV community. And I not, you know, I'm gung ho in the movement and not thinking about it from the perspective of I'm black in the tiny house community or I'm black in an RV community. And I ran into several instances of racism in the community. And, you know, and then, you know, I always hear people say, well, if you go look for racism, you'll find racism. No, racism found me because I was a black woman living in a tiny house in an RV community. And when it first happened, I was floored because it wasn't I, I didn't have my my radar on as I normally would. And so then it hit me that, you know, as we're trying to push for tiny houses to be accepted in communities, and right now the, the most welcome space for tiny houses are rural areas and RV communities. And even those are challenges for white people in the tiny house movement. It's even more of a challenge for a person of color, for a black person, because on top of the fact that we're still pushing for tiny house acceptance, I have to also factor in that the places that tiny houses are most accepted in aren't safe spaces for people of color always. And so that, that you know, that was something that those conversations need to be have, had. And as I tried to, and even I've attended tiny house events that have been in rural areas and I've run into racism attending those events just in that area. It's, and it's not an experience that anyone else in the tiny house community that, that is not of color would even know to think about. And so my first step was to try to bring that to the table for conversation to say, hey, you know, we've got to be thinking about this in the, in the um, selection of venues. And I get that these venues need to be out in these rural areas for space for, you know, the, the campgrounds for space for the, the tiny houses for here. But as you're planning it, make sure that in your planning, you are accommodating, you know, if you have to bring extra security or you have to have some awareness in the area, like for example, the, the, the um, event that I attended that I ran into, excuse me, the racism, one of the people that have been associated with the event said, oh yeah, we kind of know that area and it's known for those issues. Well, as a person of color, as a black woman attending the event, that's something that I would need to know for my personal safety. And so those were the conversations that I was trying to have to say, you've got to factor these things in as you're planning an event. If there's, if there's an area that, that is known for racism, then as you're, you're opening your event to um, diversity and inclusion, you need to make people aware for their personal safety before something happens. And so again, you know, it was met with deaf ears and I just decided instead of fighting for that, Let's go off and have these conversations because they're, they're necessary conversations and they're very, you know, they're important conversations for my everyday life and for others 
everyday life. So holding space just means be, having a place where those conversations are welcome and those conversations are being had. Thank you. That's that's really helpful. That's just a just an explanation. And it's unfortunate that it sounds like that was taken more as criticism than than just as opportunity to make absolutely the events better for everyone. Absolutely. I mean, even for the point of representation, um, if your entire speaker panel looks like you, then there's something wrong. If you don't have, you know, representation of people who don't look like you, men, um, or, or, you know, all men, all white men or all white people, and you don't have representation of people of color, other backgrounds, if you don't have, if your conversations aren't representing other conversations that need to be had, then there's a problem. And so as we try to address this and leak and speak to this, um, it was met with almost hostility. And that was very disappointing to me because I didn't expect it. I thought going into the movement as we're talking about, you know, shaking up the, you know, the people's um, dynamics for living and people having to think outside of the box to accommodate tiny houses, but you're not willing to think outside of the box as far as what this community should look like. That was disappointing to me because it's really status quo. You just want to live in a smaller house, but you still want to have the same parameters or, or dynamics that you're accustomed to in larger community. Yeah. I think there's, there's an opportunity here for, for more empathy because I see parallels here with just nationally what has happened in housing laws and in the housing movement Absolutely. and how people of color have been, you know, marginalized literally by the laws for Absolutely. so long. Redlining. Absolutely. Yeah. Redlining. And, and I think what's interesting is that Everyone in the tiny house community is now experiencing a little bit more stigma than they're used to. Like, absolutely, you can't get a loan for a tiny house. You can't park a tiny house wherever you want. And it's almost like this is this is the experience that certain people have been having in housing in general for a long time. Agree. And so it's it's unfortunate that it's kind of like almost mirroring that other system rather than creating a new exactly. a new paradigm. Exactly. And I think that that was what was so disappointing to me because I thought it was a, a new movement and an, an opportunity to, you know, to do things better and differently and to to take learn some lessons from how things had been done previously and and build anew and to understand that no, we just want to pick certain things that we want to fight for, but this other stuff, we're not willing to to listen and incorporate that. Right. Well, has any progress been made? I mean, are, are things getting better or, I mean, maybe not. I think I would say that, no. Um, as far as the events that happen throughout, they still look like they look. Mm -hmm. But, as the movement and and it's a movement and as the movement grows and more people join the movement people are are you know they're more black people people of color joining the movement conversations are being had um and people are just kind of doing their own thing and you know recognizing that there is a difference and the people who want to listen and be involved in the conversation are are having the conversation um it's unfortunate that um i guess the the mainstream of of how the movement started and the people that were involved um, in that early on haven't 
come around to it. But yeah, you know that neither here nor there. That's not my issue anymore. I'm I'm going on to other stuff and other people who want to be at the table to have this conversation as right. it's necessary. Yeah, and you know I think that there's the tiny house movement can mean so many different things to different people. You know, some people might say that the tiny house movement is the festivals and other right. people might say that the tiny house movement is the people who are traveling in tiny houses all the time. Right. Right. But you know, like you and I don't go to a ton of festivals. We don't travel right. in our tiny houses yet. We're still right. a part of the tiny house movement. Absolutely. And I think that's what a movement is about. And that was one of the things that kind of stuck with me early on because you know, people wanted the tiny house movement to be accepted, but they had so many rules as to what the tiny house movement was. Like you weren't supposed to build a house of this size or of this cost. And they were like, just so many rules. And it's like, how do you want to put so many rules around what a tiny house is and what the movement is about, but you want people to be accepting of something that's different. You know, that kind of the, you're, you're doing the opposite of what you are asking other people to do. So I'm I'm right there with you. A movement is going to change, and a movement you know, that's you know the whole definite definition of movement. As new people join, um, it's got to change because those people are going to you know impact change. Yeah. Well, what are some of the opportunities um, that are there in the tiny house movement for for everyone? I'm I'm thinking of things like building wealth, lowering you know reliance on debt. How has maybe we can kind of steer it back to how has tiny house living kind of improved your life? So that's one of the things that that I like to talk about as well. You know, the if you know anything like you were talking about the redlining and home ownership and um, how home ownership stacks up and who's, you know, who mostly owns home homes. I've used it as a, an opportunity really to talk about that for people of color to get what tiny houses are. And I've always said that, you know, it's an easier sell to talk about a tiny house if you've already had a larger home and, and you realize that it's maybe not all cracked up to be what you thought it was and you want to downsize. That's an easier sell to, to consider a tiny house versus someone who has not had and who is still striving for home ownership or, you know, what everybody sees as the American dream. So that to what I've tried to do is share my experience and and share the opportunity because there's uh, a tiny house doesn't have to to be like the, you know, a whole lot of work and, and less than, and, and have a stigma associated with it. A tiny house can absolutely be um, what my tagline is. You don't have to give up luxury to go tiny. So I've wanted to share that from the perspective of getting to home ownership quicker. It uh, definitely allows that, um, allowing you to spend more time in living life versus paying bills and, and, and having to work. If you, you know, if you, if your bills are less then you are able to spend more time in life versus having to work at a job and, and clock in. And so that experience is, um, something that I want people to get the fact that so um I just recently moved my home I've been here for a month in um onto a farm and what we're working on is building an, an agrihood community around a farm and the conversation is there there are um farms available people of color have farms and so the conversation on how to build community 
um, around tiny houses as part of an agri-hood and home ownership and helping, you know, even if the, the farm owner isn't interested in living in a tiny house, but you're uh, allowing an opportunity for those people to live on your farm. So you're allowing them to have their tiny homes there. They are helping you financially. And so it's a, you know, it's a shared experience. And that's how wealth building happens for, you know, the landowner, for the homeowner and for people to get out of debt. For me, it's been a process in being able to live that freer, lighter lifestyle. I don't have, a, you know, a home mortgage, so I'm paying for lot rental. I don't necessarily want to own land because I don't want to really be tied to anything, but my house is paid for. And so that's, you know, that's a bonus that I was able to, to meet um, that would have taken me with my, you know, the home that I own, the 30-year mortgage. And so those conversations, so that you're able to get to you know, less, uh, my entire dream was to be able to be in a position where I could choose a job based on my expenses versus choose a job based on my expenses versus my expenses choosing the job for me. You know, the amount of money that you have to make to pay for these expenses determines the type of job that you have to pay. And I wanted to do that completely opposite, to be able to make decisions on interest, I, you know, because my expenses aren't dictating those kinds of things. And so that's the the opportunity that a, t a tiny house has provided for me. Yeah, that's those are all really great points. I wanted to follow up and and ask about agrihood. Is that like agricultural neighborhood? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so we're in the development stages, but that's exactly what it is: building a neighborhood around um, an agriculture, around a farm, and it's being done in other places, even with um, large size homes where you know, everybody's doing the, the farm to table um, experience at this point. And so that's what we are attempting to build on a smaller scale with smaller homes. And just as a prototype to hopefully show that it can work and to, to pique interest as people um, are looking into, you know, living smaller and, and more, even more so from the debt-free perspective um, and knowing where your food is growing and being able to be involved in that. Farm to tiny. Farm to, I like that. I have to remember that. All right. You can have that one. <laughs> Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Was it a gift? Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, so you do a lot. I'm, I'm looking at the things, things I do on your website. Um, tiny house owner and advocate, consultant, project manager, design and professional build services, contractor management, material sourcing author, editor, founder of Tiny House Trailblazers. So that's a that's a big list of things that you do for people. I try. I really, so for me, I think I discovered a passion um, moving into this because I love my home. Um, you know, it hasn't been without its challenges. Like right now, I would feel like I'm in the challenge with having relocated to this new space and having to put in the infrastructure and getting my house back, set back up so that, you know, all of that is, is a challenge. It's not cheap. It's not, you know, without a lot of hard work, but it's something that makes me feel good, especially to get to the end result and to, to see, you know, it's set up, we're here, and now we're moving on to uh, another project. And I realized that not everybody knows how to do that. And so to be able to offer that assistance to other people has been something that I realized was a gift. Um, and and so that's um, where I am and what I've been doing. 
Awesome. Well, one thing that I like to ask all my guests is uh, what are two or three resources like books or even like people, YouTube channels that that helped you along the way that you'd like to share? Oh, wow. Um, and now I can't think of my my go to book. Um, this is awful. I needed some preparation for this one. I had a. I called it my tiny house Bible. It was just, oh, I can't think of the author's name. I can't think. Of, it's, I'm a complete blank right now. It's okay. I, I, I'm bad. I always throw this question at people yeah, without any, and I, and without I any an advance notice. So I have to, I'm going to email you. Um, I, I'm so embarrassed. I can't remember the name of the book or the author. I um, can probably guess since you're, you started like four or five years ago. Okay, come yeah, was help it, me. Was it Dan Lush? Um, yes, thank you, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yes, that's yeah. it. I was I was like it was on the tip of my tongue. That was my go to book. Yeah. I mean it broke Mine everything. Too. Yeah. It broke everything down. Even yeah. though I didn't build my home that way, it helped me be able to have the conversations with my builder. That's... It helped me understand the stuff that he was talking about. It helped me understand um the things that had to be done in a build. And it was an easy read. Like, so I had, you know, my bookmarks in it for stuff that I needed to remember. Um, and I actually told him that when I met him, it was just like, that was my go-to book. Um, and I actually have two of them because I thought I had lost mine and I quickly ordered another one and then it turned back up. But that was my go-to book. Um, I also watched the four videos from the Morrison um, to, from the ground up, and just going through a build, it was a, a very, very long watch, but then it, it helped just kind of like Dan's book to put it all together about a build and what yeah. you needed to be concerned with. And that's such a great point that you just made that even if you're not going to build the house yourself, mm -hmm. to, to arm yourself with a little bit of knowledge and, you know, both Dan's book and the Morrison's are both, you know, reputable experienced people so you can you can watch those and then when your contractor is doing something you that is funky Absolutely. you're going to notice and say hey Absolutely. why are you doing this this way right right that's what i in my consultations so i always feel like if you're working with a reputable reputable builder and you're able to kind of walk away and and know that they're going to build like it's supposed to be built then you don't have to arm yourself with that knowledge me going into it um, because I it was a new movement. There weren't builders, to, you know, tiny house builders at the time. I And my mind is I'm a project manager, so my mind operates and I need to know everything from A to Z. So the book and, and the videos uh, provided that opportunity so that I could design and know as it was being built, that it was built to the standard that I needed to be built to. Built to. And so it was absolutely... Um, valuable knowledge and then just you know over the course of time like I said I sourced all of the material for my bill so I can tell you you know every piece of material that's in the house how it was built I was a I did have the luxury of being on site every day as the build was happening so that knowledge you know combined with the research that I've done just um, has led to I guess the passion that I have now because I'm you know I don't necessarily do a lot of the physical work but I know how it's supposed to Right. And just thank you for sharing all that. And I'm sure that people who do get to work with you um, are very grateful for what you what you can bring to the conversation. Well, thank you. Thank you for saving me because I would have been so upset if I couldn't have come up with the book. <laughs>
you know, I'm going to, as an action item from this interview, I'm going to start giving my guests a heads up because I, I'm not like trying to send a, throw a gotcha question at anyone and have them stumble. So yeah, if my memory was better, I would have gotten it right then because I knew it is like, I could see the front of the book. I actually just looked at the book the other day and I was like, come on, Jewel, you know who it is in the name of the book. So thank you for saving me. You're welcome. Well, Jewel Pearson, it was so wonderful to meet you and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. You can find the show notes from today's episode, including links to Jewel's website and social media profiles, as well as the resources that she mentioned at thetinyhouse.net slash 077. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash 077. I want to thank Jewel Pearson for being a guest on the show today. And also a big shout out to this week's sponsor, tinyhouseforum.com. And one other note, if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on the show, head over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask, where you can submit a question. I'm accepting questions of any kind from design to building to lifestyle things. So head on over to thetinyhouse.net slash ask if you have a question that you'd like answered on the show. Well, that's all for this week. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.